hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Woe is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Well, welcome to the program. You're now listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Alongside me this evening, Southern Wood. That's right. How you doing? Who was that handsome dude that just walked out of here? Oh, the guy with the scruffy beer with yeah. the white in it? You I don't think, know? I heard, it, I heard him on uh, when uh, on Greg's show. Yeah. Was Is it sure it's not your you. brother? He looked, you look just as handsome. I don't know. He's a good-looking dude. Don't I know stop that. it. You're married. I can't go on with this conversation. But uh, no, you don't need any more rumors about you. No, I don't need any more <laughs> of those rumors. Well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's worry sometimes when a guy is a bachelor into his thirties. All these stories start getting weaved around him. Like, did some saucy minx break his heart in his early twenties, or you know, is he maybe a, a little gay or something like that? I don't, you know, or I actually think here's the real reason. No sensible, intelligent, and attractive woman has made the Herculean effort to marry me. That's what I'm talking about. I think that's actually the reason I'm still a bachelor. We'll see if that day comes. Ladies, I'm like a Hydra. Go ahead and try to cut the heads off. (laughs) So, over the long holiday weekend, really had a chance to hang out with my brother. I'm his best man in his wedding coming up in June, June the 15th. And I'm really looking forward to it. it for a while, it was kind of, you know, so far away, it was hard to imagine. And But I was there. Talk about things that happened in 2018 as this year's coming to a close. I, re- I will always remember him saying, come here, into his room, the old house we used to live at. And hey, look at this. And he pulls out the ring. Yeah. And he's going to give to my lovely soon-to-be sister-in-law, Caroline, Lady Caroline. She's amazing. Will, don't screw it up. And uh, and so just to see that date that they're getting married coming closer, being able to, you know, I'll have to give a speech. I, I think I'll be able to handle that. I, I think I... I can help the, you if you need a rider. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I'm pretty good at is, is talking <laughs> uh, to a certain extent. And so I get to hang out with my brother because he's now living in Dothan uh, this weekend. And one of our favorite shows believe it or not, is West Wing. Now, it's not because I'm a Democrat. It's because I love Aaron Sorkin. And it is a little weird that I, a malcontent libertarian, would enjoy a show about a Democratic intellectual presidency and administration. But there's something about, and I'm also very cynical about politics, as you know, but there's something about the way Sorkin can take any subject and he admits this. He elevates it to where it's a little absurd. It's not always sweet, but it's like, what if people were their best? Whether they're Democrat or Republicans, there are always these great reach-across-the-aisle moments in that show as well. But my favorite episodes on West Wing have to do 
with the morality and the practicality of making decisions in foreign policy. Like, we talk a lot about foreign policy, but folks, put yourself in any president's shoes. Imagine you are the president of the United States today. Not Lincoln's time, not even FDR's time. But today, since the national security state really got entrenched, the deep state, so to speak. And imagine being in the Situation Room, surrounded by generals, admirals, the Joint Chiefs, the CIA, other intelligence-gathering bodies, all your advisors giving you the latest information. Well, one of the earliest episodes of West Wing is by far one of my favorites. It's called A Proportional Response. And what's in the news today? We're talking about Syria. Well, in this episode, it starts with saying that Syrian air defenses shot down a commercial liner with 50-something Americans on it. One of them was about to come home to his little boy. And so President Bartlett is, well, he's pissed off about this. It's his first foreign policy decision. It's right after he gets in office. And that's, I want to play a clip. I don't often do this, but I want to play a clip. This is from the show. It's after they get word this plane's been shot down. It's the president's first foreign policy decision he has to make. And so the camera cuts to the situation room with first the head of the Joint Chiefs, uh, Admiral Fitz, I believe, uh, saying something about the coffee. You know what I was just thinking? What's that? This is different coffee than we usually have. <laughs> Here comes the president. Keep your seats. That's the president. Good morning, Mr. President. What do we got? Three retaliatory strike scenarios. When are they operational? At the president's command. No prep time. We're there. All three scenarios are comprehensive, meet the obligations of proportional response, and pose minimum risk to American personnel and assets. Scenario one, or Pericles one, to use his code name, sir. What is the is virtue of a proportional response? I'm sorry? What is the virtue of a proportional response? Why is it good? They hit an airplane, so we hit a transmitter, right? That's a proportional response. Sir, in the case of Pericles... They hit a barracks, we hit two transmitters. That's roughly it, yes, sir. This is what we do. I mean, this is what we do. Yes, sir, it's what we do. It's what we've always done. Well, if it's what we do, if it's what we've always done, don't they know we're going to do it? Sir, if you... Turn your attention to Pericles 1. I have turned my attention to Pericles 1. It's two ammo dumps, an abandoned railroad bridge, and a Syrian intelligence agency. Those are four highly rated targets, sir. But they know we're going to do that. They know we're going to do that. Those areas have been abandoned for three days now. We know that from the satellite, right? We have the intelligence. Sir. They did that, so we did this. It's the cost of doing business. It's been factored in, right? Mr. President. Am I right, or am I missing something here? No, sir, you're right, sir. Then I ask again, what is the virtue of a proportional response? It isn't virtuous, Mr. President. It's all there is, sir. It is not all there is. Sir, Admiral Fitzwalter. Excuse Wallace. me, Leo. Uh, pardon me, Mr. President. Just what else is it? The disproportional response. Let the word ring forth from this time and this place, gentlemen. You kill an American, any American, we don't come back with a proportional response. We come back with total disaster. Mr. President, are you suggesting we carpet bomb Damascus? I am suggesting, General, that you and Admiral Fitzwallis and Secretary Hutchison and the rest of the national security team take the next 60 minutes and put together an American response scenario that doesn't make me think we are just docking somebody's damn allowance. 
And so for the rest of the episode, the president is pretty chippy. And they come up with a response like he requests. And they explain that this many civilians will die now if we do this. There might be other factors we can't think of because it would be so devastating. And it leads to a conversation where Leo McGarry, the chief of staff, brings the president into the president's private office. And kind of is trying to talk him down from his fury. Because an American's been killed, right? Mm-hmm. Multiple Americans have been killed. And you feel the statement there. Sometimes I feel that way. Somebody wrong, somebody I love, somebody I'm supposed to protect. Bring down hellfire on them. Right. And it's this, this is why, even as a libertarian, I love the West Wing. Because it presents, obviously, in an over-the-top, dramatic way, the real-life decisions people have to make all the time. And, well, actually, very few people have to make this decision. You can criticize presidents all you want, and I do (laughs) criticize presidents a lot. But when you step back and you really try to think of the person sitting there behind the desk in the Oval Office or in the Situation Room, and they have to make the go-ahead order. Yeah, let the bombs fly. Can you imagine being in that position? How lonely that position must yeah. feel. Uh, it, and it's uh, it's a heavy weight. It's, it's easy to be the armchair quarterback and say, yeah. I'd carpet bomb just like they brought up in the clip. I, yeah. Do you want to just carpet bomb Damascus? And it's easy to say that. I'd go over there and drop a nuclear bomb right in the middle of Iraq. Would you really? Yeah. I mean... When you're actually there, would you You realize the weight of... Yeah, even though, you know, these are people that don't look like me and don't have... You know, I didn't grow up with. uh, We don't have the same even uh, worldview, but you're still taking the life of people who didn't take up arms and do anything. It's one of the heaviest decisions. And the capability is unknown before in human history, too. That's another perspective to take. There have been dictators and emperors and generals all throughout human history, but they never had this ability. Like the Mm -hmm. old Persian Empire that Alexander the Great took down. They would bring people to heal by, you know, coming. it would take them a while to mobilize, but they would come in if you weren't paying your dues and your taxes. They would let, this is why they were such a successful empire, they let people keep their cultures. They would let people keep their customs. But you just got to pay the emperor and say he's the king of kings. Other than that, we're cool. And we want trade, we want standards, these sort of things. But if you failed to pay or you were talking a little too much, they would come in and crush you. Mm-hmm. But it would take a while. I mean, think about the whole Middle East. They, they have horses. That's the fastest transportation. So that's like one power. Rome's another power. Even the British Empire, it took a while to get somewhere and to get information places. Can you imagine, never before in human history has somebody been able to sit at a desk, somebody say, we can destroy this city right now based on your word and your decision. That is an awesome responsibility. Should get everyone paused. So when I see our current president saying he doesn't want to be a, a nation builder, he doesn't want to be the policeman of the world, I think that's a great instinct. Doesn't mean he'll always pull the troops home and he'll always be like the the libertarian office. He won't be. Trump's not that. But I think he has good instincts in the sense that we don't have to always be putting ourselves in the situation to make these decisions. 
And there might be something about our, our soul as a nation, if I could use such over-the-top language, mm-hmm. that if we keep putting ourselves in these places where we have to make these decisions, what does it do to not only our standing in the world, who cares about that? It's more, what does it do to us as a people, our, our, the power we have at our disposal, or at least our leader has at his disposal. But after the president... Bartlett in this episode. Again, you can check it out yourself. It's called The Proportional Response. It's on Netflix. One of the first early episodes in season one of The West Wing. After he's been snippy with everybody all day, uh, Leo pulls him into the private study, and they have this little exchange here. And you might recognize a clip that I use in the opening of this show. We're behaving like a superpower, or we're doing a pretty crappy job, something to that effect. Well, here's the back and forth. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, a Roman citizen could walk across the face of the known world free of the fear of molestation? He could walk across the earth unharmed, cloaked only in the protection of the word civis romanus. I am a Roman citizen. So great was the retribution of Rome, universally understood as certain, should any harm befall even one of its citizens. Where was Morris's protection, or anybody else on that airplane? Where is the retribution for the families? And where is the warning to the rest of the world that Americans shall walk this earth unharmed, lest the clenched fist of the most mighty military force in the history of mankind comes crashing down on your house? In other words, Leo, what the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. In fact, I'm not 100% sure it hasn't induced it. What are you talking about? I'm talking about 286 American Marines in Beirut. I'm talking about Somalia. I'm talking about Nairobi. And you think ratcheting up the body count's gonna act as a deterrent? You're dead. Oh, right then you here. are just as stupid as these guys who think capital punishment's gonna be a deterrent for drug kingpins. As if drug kingpins didn't live their day-to-day lives under the possibility of execution. And their executions are a lot less dainty than ours and tend to take place without the bother and expense of due process. So, my friend, if you want to start using American military strength as the arm of the Lord, you can do that. We're the only superpower left. You can conquer the world, like Charlemagne. But you better be prepared to kill everyone. He had a 10-day-old baby at home. I know. We are doing nothing. We are not doing nothing. Four high-rated military targets? And this is good? Of course it's not good. There is no good. It's what there is. It's how you behave if you're the most powerful nation in the world. It's proportional. It's reasonable. It's responsible. It's merciful. It's not nothing. Four high-rated military targets. Which they'll rebuild again in six months. Then we'll blow them up again in six months. We're getting really good at it. So he goes with the proportional response. Now that clip needs a little updating. I would suggest we're not the sole superpower any longer. There's this country called, what is it, uh, China? That's rising. Russia is resurging, but it's not really a... They're putting all of their money into the military. These supersonic missiles are some scary crap. So we have to worry about, you know pissing off the other powerful militaries in the world. I don't think anybody's that crazy. Maybe some of the Russian generals. (laughs) But I think the Chinese and the people running our country are pretty reasonable. 
There is something about that line of if you want to use the U.S. military as the arm of the Lord, you can. And when I hear folks pulling at heartstrings at our moral sensibilities, that we have to save people from these tyrants and dictators, I I see where that character president is coming from. That's why I love Sorkin. Again, it's a he doesn't present just one worldview. That was a true argument. Should we ratchet up the body count or not? Should it be proportional or <laughs> disproportional? Mm-hmm. And I hope this real-life president, President Trump, has somebody who can talk to him that way. I hope anybody who's powerful and a leader has somebody who can talk to him that way. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not Kim Jong-un. Because you need somebody to get in your face and give you the options, give you perspective. And, you know, for all the bluster and boistering and the, you know, how Trump sniffs, like the the very alpha Mm -hmm. thing, I think Trump actually does listen to people. It's probably not your average person. It's probably why he kept going with the generals for so long in Syria, giving them six-month extension after extension. Because he does, I mean, it's humbling. It has to be humbling. Again, to sit in that chair. I mean, just my biggest worry as we go, there are a lot of worries, but I think my biggest is this sort of foreign policy by media freak out. That we as the American public actually know what's going on because we watch Fox News or MSNBC. And and then the leader's response becomes 100% reactionary. Yes. And not to even the situation at hand, but to the perception... In the press. ...that the public has yep. of the situation at hand. Yep. And you've got, as a leader, you have to be willing to do that from time to time and say, I know how bad this is going to look, but I know what's best. I've got more information than you, and I can't even tell you. It's, it's like being yeah. a, a parent yeah. with your children. Is I, 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 Even if I explained it to you, you could not comprehend every tentacle of this, this beast that, that we deal with as, as a worldwide power. Well, and it, it leads us to, like, does it really feel like we've been in Afghanistan for 17 going on 18 years? You know? It's what happens is because we don't have conversations, and I blame the national media and a lot of the politicians for this. Because we don't have long perspectives and memories, and instead we do foreign policy by the latest freak out and the monster evil of the day. It's like a soup of the day. Man, that that uh, cream of mushroom will give you the runs. Don't do that stuff. I worry that because our, our we have blinders on in terms of, okay, let's go slay this monster and that monster, the public is not thinking long-term. I'm sure there are well-thought-out people that are uh, thinking long-term. Then I ask myself, what are some of these guys' plans? And Syria is a perfect example of this, folks. It, we, the initial rationale I covered last week was to go take out ISIS. But now that we're there and ISIS is almost gone... There are now two or three new rationales to stay. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder who was... Did it really just pop up, these new realities? Or was somebody, or several people, not telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Now, the truth is tricky. I'll give the benefit of the doubt. Realities on the ground change. 
But sometimes when I look at, say, somebody's a little hawkish, we were joking earlier about Lindsey Graham. Not that Lindsey's a bad guy, I don't know the man. But just from what I can see and the public perception, I think Lindsey has thought this through several steps ahead, and he just didn't bring it up. And I think the goal for a lot of people is domination of the Middle East. And we've picked the side of Saudi Arabia, and we've picked the side of Turkey. They're obviously, obviously, we've picked Israel and, and Egypt. And the idea is now to push back and take on the Iranians, and hopefully it doesn't end in a massive war, because you think Iraq was a hell of a war. Iran would... I, won't, I don't doubt the U.S. military, but I don't think Iran is any cakewalk, just for all sorts of reasons. Uh, going forward, I just have to say, bravo, Mr. President. I like your instincts. I like what John Kelly said before he, uh, he decided to leave. When asked about Trump and nuclear weapons, he said, if anything, I've heard the president say that I wish we could get rid of them. That's a good instinct. He's not going to get rid of them. No, you can't. You can't. Because of the whole mutually assured destruction thing. But if that's your instinct, you understand this is madness. If anybody ever used those things, especially China or Russia or India and Pakistan. It's nuts. But we find ourselves in these positions, these new technologies, and we're almost trying to play catch up to our technology. We were talking earlier how a kid was cheating on his homework in New Jersey. A little first grader, six-year-old kid, was saying, Alexa, what's five minus three? And you have to wonder, you know, that's a simple, silly story about a kid taking a shortcut. How reliant are we on our technology that, you know, can cost lives? And how much of this is on autopilot? Because it's what's normal. It's what's been done. Like in the clip, it's what we do. It's what's always been done. And I appreciate the president's instincts, and I appreciate the president being willing to... to shake things up a little bit. That's all I say. He's not shaking things up all the way. He's picking his spots. With that, I tip my hat to him. I don't always agree with the president. I think our GDP would be bigger without the tariffs, these sort of things. But there is, as I'm watching this president, some sort of method to his madness. Um, it doesn't mean I always agree, but it, I don't feel like there's chaos. Like The media is always stirring you up, folks, saying this is chaotic. And on the one hand, they say Trump's got his finger on the nuclear button. You can't trust him. On the other hand, they're now saying he's irresponsible. He's not taking it to the Russians in Syria enough. Good Lord, make up your minds. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about, this sort of politics of the moment, evil du jour, that doesn't lead to good long-term policy. And really only enriches, if we want to talk about it honestly, the actual deep state. I'm not talking about the conspiratorial deep state. I mean the deep state that exists beyond elected officials and has for, well, 70, 80 years now. That's how we take it on. And we have, myself included, a little bit of humility in not buying exactly what the press is selling. Politicians are a whole other matter. If you don't have some distrust, even of the president you love, you gotta you gotta look at him with a little bit of a jaundice eye. Power corrupts, folks, don't you know? But the media in particular, shame on you a-holes. Half of you. You're just paying the mortgage, saying whatever needs to be said that day. Rather than actually, you know, sticking by some truth, as complicated as it might be. 
Yeah, and that's and that's really to me one of the most disappointing things when you get into to big issues that that are more involved than what is five minus three. Yeah, is you know I don't I don't fault the politicians as much for making things political. I mean that that's their job. in their name right. is their job description. You know they're they're I, I think is disingenuous and is hypocritical but you know if you wanted the wall five years ago and now that a republican wants the wall and you're against the wall that's fine you know the the war in syria that's one thing but i think you do make a very good point when the when the media itself flip-flops back and forth what they emphasize instead of just reporting the news you know and saying here's what happened this is what Syria looked like when we went in. This is what it looks like now. We're taking the, you know, the two thousand troops out, and you know, it ties in with that clip where he said, "If you want to be the hand of God, you've got to be willing to kill everybody." Mm. And it's 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 hard for people to swallow, but uh, you can get the good book out and you can read when God told His people to go in the Promised Land. He mm-hmm. said kill every man, woman, and child, and in some cases even commanded them to kill even the animals and not to keep a thing and burn the rest of the stuff when they went into a city to take it over because that is the only way to completely remove an ex an external threat the only way to completely remove it is you've got to get rid of everybody well, and let's put this and in you can't do this crap that we've been doing yeah. let's put 2500 people in Syria yeah. and like one, another thing in the clip. I mean, that clip was pretty prescient. This is why I love this show. It's, it's very prescient because he says, what's going to happen? We blow up these five empty buildings. They're going to build them right back. Yeah. Well, in six months, we'll blow them up again. <laughs> Who's building the buildings? Who's building the bombs to blow them up with? Yep. Who? And so you're just, you're just pouring money on the fiscal side. You're just pissing money away. Well, and, and uh, real quick back to the media. You know what worries me isn't so much, you know, MSNBC is going to be obviously on the progressive left. Fox, Fox is corporate, but they are center-right. CNN's just doesn't like Trump. Orange man bad, you know. Yeah. That's CNN summed up. And we want to sell you a product. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what worries me, and I knew it was coming as soon as Trump made this announcement that he wanted to pull troops home from Syria, is it scares me when Fox News... CNN, MSNBC, NBC, CBS, ABC, The Washington Post, The New York Times, even The Orlando Sentinel, whatever newspaper you want to bring up, radio hosts around the country, except for maybe a few malcontents like myself, are all singing from the same hymnal. That, oh, what Trump's doing is irresponsible. That's when I get really worried. Because what... I don't know the details. I'm not saying it's some conspiracy necessarily. I'm saying that you have to step back and go, what is it with the media that they're so fascinated with the U.S. military doing things abroad? Why is it that the pragmatic thing, the practical thing, is always framed in doing something more? When obviously it's somewhere more in between. Sometimes it's right to intervene, sometimes it's not. When's the last time the media actually supported somebody not doing something? Frustrating, but I have hope. Given the president's instincts, 
And uh, I have hope given the instincts of a lot of people fighting the good fight, including the people in uniform who were the first. You know, the I say stuff like, you know, the U.S. Empire and we should bring, we should lower our footprint abroad, military footprint. Some of the first people to agree are those who have served because they've seen it. Some of the last people who want war are those who have been in it. So I can sit here and talk in the abstract. They've actually, like I said, lived it. <sighs> that again, that's what's been on my mind. It doesn't really stress me out, and I love that show, West Wing. There's so many other episodes where Sorkin has these look what we can do moments, whether it's somebody climbing Everest or uh, you know, a probe going to Mars or something like that. We do it because we can. And it inspires us to do things. It might seem a little absurd on their face, not very practical, but they, they again, they inspire us. And we need more of that, especially in the press. I guess tonight's more of a critique of the media and the political media complex than a given politician. I'm almost expressing empathy for presidents right now. Uh, they asked for it. They ran for it. So they, they aren't completely, you know, we can't pity them completely. Uh, but what a awesome responsibility uh, yeah. once again. But, you know, the holidays also brought something else. It wasn't just myself and my brothers sitting around watching West Wing or playing stupid video games. I was reunited with the red and fuzzy big booty Buddha. And there's something about, you know, the holidays kind of can bring people down. This one was better for me. But that dog, that 80-pound fox red Labrador retriever laying on me, and when you scratch his thigh, <laughs> and, you know, him open his mouth and that soft bite, and he will lick you to death. It's like, yeah, man. He, he thinks he's like a 12-pound dog is the problem. Yeah, he's a big 80-pound lap dog. He's a big baby. He's an erotic mess, but we love him to death. And that's why we got to pick up treats from four healthy pets over on the Atlanta Highway. In particular, if you're talking treats, the chicken crack. That is the chicken jerky. All natural. It's so good. A human would eat it. I mean, and she also will provide everyday food that's responsibly sourced. It's not coming from someplace you don't, you know, who knows where. It's not bottom-of-the-barrel clippings or floor sweepings. All natural, quality, healthy ingredients for your pet. And that means your pet will have a longer life, a happier life, and that means you'll have a longer life and a happier life. I really believe that. When you got a puppy or a cat there on your lap or just something that you have responsibility for, it makes your life all the better. And that's why Teresa went into business. A strong, local, small business here. Teresa at Four Healthy Pets can help you out and get you set up with auto order if you really love certain products. So it's always there and available. And she can you know, help you find whatever it is you need for your dog, your cat, any of your pets. So stop by Four Healthy Pets. Again, the Village East Shopping Center on Atlanta Highway or visit 4healthypetsonline.com. That's F-O-R, Healthy Pets Online. Dot com. Tell Teresa that uh, Joey said hi. Well, folks, we're going to hit this break. Coming back, Southern Wood and I are going to continue the show. Where do we go from here? No telling. No telling. Joey Clark. Welcome back. You want to join in on the conversation? 272 9228. 
272-9228. And I'm about to go to Bo Holt on the phone lines. Before I do, show is also brought to you by Eddie Bader with the Goodson Group. Great guy. Always on top of it. Manages a lot of different properties, but he is also a real estate agent and is looking to be your buyer's agent. So if you're looking to buy a home, especially if you're a first-time home buyer, give Eddie Bader... Especially. Especially. Give Eddie Bader a call. 322-0662. Again, his number, 322-0662. Eddie goes the extra mile. And also for you folks who maybe are thinking, I don't know if I want to buy a home. I kind of like my renting situation. Let's at least give Eddie the benefit of the doubt. Hear him out. Let him show you the options that are out there. He could probably save you some money by having that you know, tax deduction with the mortgage, being able to own your own place. He can make that what seems far off a real possibility, an actual reality. So at least you have options. And he'll work with you. He'll give you all sorts of homes at different price ranges, uh, different tastes, and really just sit down, have a beer with him if that's your thing, eat a slice of pizza, and he'll get to know you and what you like. And he can look out for any of those pitfalls, especially first-time home buyers can fall into, whether it's repairs and the prepaids, like appraisals and inspections. He can really help you out. So again, give Eddie Bader a call if you're looking for a real estate agent, a buyer's agent, 322-0662. Let's go to the phones and talk to Bo Holt. Hey, Bo, how you doing? I'm doing great again. Uh, first of all, Eddie Bader and the Goodson Group, great people. I've, I've said it again, uh, again and again. I, I can't say enough how great the Goodson Group and Eddie Bader are both. They're they're wonderful. I highly recommend them. Um, secondly, I know you've gotten serious, but when I called in, I was trying to make a joke. Um, I never followed the West Wing, but you know who is in the West Wing, right? Well, a lot of people are, but who? Eric! You're going to give the company to Eric? He's a bad, bad man. <laughs> yeah, Bradley Whitford, I think, is the actor's name. Yes, but... Bradley Whitford. Yeah, he plays <laughs> Eric Josh. Eric Billy Madison is in the West Wing. But, you know, I never actually got into the West Wing. Maybe I should, but uh, yeah, when it's... you were talking about that, I could not help but think about Eric from Billy Madison, and so I had to... I was prompted to call in and make that comment. <laughs> well, and it is a Democratic presidential administration, but I just like how Sorkin will take ideas and really put them in combat against each other through the different characters. He'll admit, Sorkin, yeah. I think, will admit that he's not that sophisticated politically. He just goes off stories he heard from other people. And whatever he's doing, he likes to get to know the people in a given sector or industry or whatever, hear how they talk, and, uh, like, Language to him is like music. It's a rhythm. Um, that's how he kind of presents these stories and these ideas. Well, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a show I should go back and watch. I've never, never, ever really watched it, but maybe it's something I should go back and uh, pay attention to. Yeah, I love it. It makes me think a little bit and gives me well, something fun to watch. My fun, my favorite and my brother and I's favorite episodes are the ones that feature uh, Lord John Marbury. A uh, British diplomat who's hilarious, like <clears throat> very forward, flirting with all the women in the White House. I don't think he would play well, well in the Me Too era. <laughs> well, yeah, I do like flirting with women. Sorry, Lisa, if you're listening. Sorry, um, I had to apologize to my wife. Um, but I do like women, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's something I need to go back and look at. Um, I just. 
you were talking about it, the only thing I could think of was Eric from Billy Madison. And I was like, <laughs> I got to call in and, and make that reference. No, <laughs> I always think of him polishing that statue's ass, you know, as he's trying to learn Spanish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> oh. All right, buddy. Y'all have a good show. Clay, you uh, still there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, buddy. Talk to y'all soon. All Bye. Right. We'll see you, Bo. Now, for folks who don't know, this is three hours and 45 minutes into hosting. Mm-hmm. Woo! I feel good, though. It's a good day. Good to get back in the swing of things. Sometimes you feel a little too lethargic coming out of the holidays. You eat too much, you drink too much. Mm-hmm. Even if it isn't like mm-hmm. over excess, you just get doing things you're not used to. You get out of your schedule. And- yeah, you don't do it every day. And that's that four-day weekend is, that really wears you out. It affects you physically after. and mentally. Like, you're, my body just feels tired from doing it. Like, riding in the car and eating a lot of great food. But it's just, uh, you can't do it all the time. Yeah, well, you're out of your, you're, you're off your schedule. So, you're not going to bed at the same time every night. And, right. and you, you know, I mean, we don't eat the exact same foods. But the richness of most things we eat around this time of year is a little bit overboard. Oh, man. Those ribs you made look To say it... Good, dude. I, I can cook a rib now. I, I can dang sure cook a rib. Yeah. And they were they were off the chain. <sighs> but there's a... Speaking of that Lord John Marbury, there's another episode where Pakistan and uh, India... Pakistan, I think, moves like 300,000 troops into the Kashmir region, and then China's trying to respond to the situation, and George Lom, uh, Lord John Marbury dresses them down, saying, number one, your intelligence gathering in this area is squat, but he says something that reminds me of what you've been saying, uh, is that these folks, it's religious-based. Mm-hmm. We think of our conflicts like, you know, how Russia and the United States had conflicts, where we seem to be rational actors. But when you start mixing in a sort of hundreds if not thousands year old conflicts and resentment into the mix it's got to give you pause yeah especially if it's a situation like that can you imagine if it's not the united states we're not the ones involved it's like india and pakistan are about to set off a few nukes at each other it's unreal it really is yeah unreal so in the days ahead what to do i think i will try to find some good resolutions not in, number one, I've learned... Do you do resolutions? Not really. I'll do kind of pie-in-the-sky ones or, like, you know, affirmations that feel good or, you know, I think I, I want to repeat to myself, you know, into the coming year to sort of make it a, a deeper conviction. Uh, like, you know, I mean, stuff I've memorized, like the truth is really pure and never simple. We're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Those are a few from Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. I like that stuff. It's not really a life philosophy. A quotation from some guy, of, you know, a hundred years ago is not really a life philosophy, but it sort of points in a certain direction, a little reminder not to get too heated over, say, things like the truth. And in particular, I found another quote today that I shared uh, on the Book of Faces. And folks, you can follow me. I'm, I'm still rocking the baby face on the Book of Faces, but that will change here soon. But... <clears throat> It's a quote from, again, I quote him a lot, H.L. Mencken. I shared one earlier in the day, share one now. But you hear this a lot. Like, I, I got into radio because of Glenn Beck. I mm-hmm. was a real big Glenn Beck fan. Yeah, I liked Beck. And when he, you know, kind of went against Trump, I actually didn't feel betrayed. I saw it coming. Like, I kind of knew Glenn by that point, so 
it made sense to me in his direction he was going. No, I always agree with his approach, but I think he's a very talented broadcaster. But I bring him up because he did The Blaze. I think they now uh, did a joint venture with CRTV. So it's now like one Blaze network or something like that. Mm-hmm. Needed more funding, I suppose. But the slogan for The Blaze TV has always been, The truth lives here. And that's where I started to think, really, all the time? The truth always is living there? It's like the blaze is the fire of the Holy Spirit coming in and licking our spirits? Yeah. Mm, no, Glenn, you're a man. And the people you work with are men and women. Or just frail human Mankind. beings. Yes. <laughs> Sorry for being a little politically correct there. But this is the Minkin quote. It says, The man who boasts that he habitually tells the truth is simply a man with no respect for it. He goes on. It is not a thing to be thrown around loosely, like small change. It is something to be cherished and hoarded and dispersed only when absolutely necessary. And he goes on to say, essentially, most of the things we hold true, whether you're talking about in our religious traditions or in our scientific traditions or our political, like common law traditions in the West... Most of the things we hold true, uh, a lot of people had to suffer for those truths. Most of the human race, and I tend to agree with Minkin, we fall for things left and right, myself included. We fall for a bunch of crap. And we're lucky to be standing on the shoulders of giants and ancestors from thousands of years that have given us these hard-won truths. So, again, when somebody's always like, I tell the truth, I'm always telling the truth, like, yeah, you might be trying to. That's a different statement. What what did Donald Trump say when they asked him about if if, oh, yeah. if he tells the truth? That was the exact thing he said. I tried to tell. I tried to tell the truth. Oh <laughs> man, yeah. It's it's an interesting thing though, where if you also in, come up with a new idea, most some things we take for granted are considered absurd. Like just, I think pure democracy, majority rule is also absurd. But imagine throughout most of human history, that is nonsense to most people's ears. The idea that the people rule. And that's a very new idea. Now we take it for granted. Yeah. Do we, because we take it for granted, use that responsibility badly? Well, I tend to think so, yes. We've kind of become, well, we're quick to sloganeering and bumper stickers and symbols. Once again, we, we often lose the substance of our arguments. And, you know, it's silly crap. Like, you know, what's on the television screen right now? Controversy over Trump's Christmas call with seven-year-old. It's just a stupid, puff, personal piece. I mean, it's just... Oh, my goodness. It's like, whatever. Santa is, of course, real. Santa brings plenty of joy. He's magical. And I would never want to upset that. But come on, man. And then again, NBC News today. Trump becomes first president since O2 not to visit the troops in Christmas time. Well, he visited them today, you idiots. They just overshoot way too quick. Shoot first, ask questions later. That's the new press motto. Yeah, and that and that's what I was hitting at, you know, earlier is is for the press to be that political to make everything, I mean, when you're if if I just sat and I wouldn't be the first person to do this. If I sat and listened to 93.1 all day, every day. It's not bad. For, for nine hours. Mm-hmm. And just 
with pen in hand waiting for somebody, whether it be Baron or Jack or Dan or you or Greg or Emily or Jay or Rich, just just waiting for one of y'all to misspeak one time <laughs> and then just get out and just hammer out this long uh you know, thing on Facebook, and or if I had a TV show or something, and just got on there and just pounded right. for three hours what about was Overman's old segment, the worst person in the world. Or you won't believe what Joey said yesterday, right? And even if it's something you said in jest, but take, taking it, you know, out of context, oh, that's or the worst. if by God, I know, and I know you've never done this. I think I may have done it once before. If you actually misspeak. <laughs> you think you say one thing, but you actually say something completely I do different. It all the time. Yeah, you know, because your phone explodes if so, you ever do something like that. It's like, what? Oh, did I say that? That's not what I meant to say. No, no I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, oh, I did say that. <laughs> so, but it's it. But that's the way the, the national media is, and the way that they treat the president. You know, as much as I could not stand Barack Obama, I never would have been rude to him uh, if I ever would have had the opportunity to meet him. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't have gone, you know, out of my way. But, right. you know, if he was up here doing an interview with you and you said, hey, President's going to be up here. You want to stop by and say hello? I probably would have came by and, sure. you know, shook his hand and said, nice yeah. to meet you, Mr. President. Right, because not many people have been in that position. And and, uh, and Donald Trump can't even do a cotton-picking uh, news conference without being shouted down by, you know, three and four and five reporters. That's just disrespectful to uh, the office more than disrespectful to the person. Well, I never thought you could get a more self-important group than politician. But and I think it's now, now. I think we've now found it with the uh, the free press. Well, it's just a joke. Like with when Acosta's press credentials were taken away from the White House, they're comparing it like he's cracking down on freedom of the press. And no president. And this is back to again the momentary freakout where we have blinders to history. No president has ever done anything this horrible. I know. Oh, it. give me a break. The founders never do. John Adams did it. It's called the Alien and Sedition Acts. You couldn't criticize the president in public. Well, I, I, I'm thinking more about what about the Asian people that got put in concentration camps? Yeah. Well, Lincoln locked up reporters in the North for criticizing the Civil War effort, the Union effort. I mean, there's all sorts of instances. Woodrow Wilson locked up people that were protesting the draft in World War One. Presidents have been doing this all the time because people with yeah. power do this sort of crap. And and that's not to say that those actions were were justified they, they and righteous. Weren't. But like you said, to say that saying the one person from a now, you can send all two hundred and fifty other reporters from CNN over here. Just don't send Acosta because he hit my my girl that was. Yeah. You know, passing the microphone around. Well, but a lot of this, though, I was telling you off air uh, another quote that. You know, a lot of people don't really grow mentally past, or emotionally, really, past the age of 9 or 10, then they sprout beards and political opinions. <laughs> political yeah, yeah, it's a good line. It is. Uh, but it, think about it, folks. If you watch, just do me a favor. Watch the news tonight, if you do, if that's your cup of tea. And while you're watching the news, whether it's Maddow or Hannity or Tucker or whatever, imagine them as a kid on the playground. Because we were all kids once. Imagine all these politicians we see as like babies, or as like young kids, or as teenagers, and what they've had to go through. They're d 
different than those babies they once were. Of course, everybody hopefully grows a little bit, gets a little wiser, a little older. But are we really that different than our former selves? The older I get, even though I'm still a young man, I'm still that scared little kid at the end of the day. You try to get better, you try to get more courageous, and where you feel that fear and whatever it is in life, you try to face it, you know, with fortitude. But come on, that stuff makes you who you are. Yeah, and now you're Southern Boy shaking your head at the Ocasio Cortez <laughs> Christmas tweet. Bless her heart. I didn't. I just saw that for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor little refugee. Jesus. Jesus. Refugee Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's pitiful. Yeah. yeah. I think that is a that's a danger though. I, I giggle at it, but that's uh whether it's intentional or if it's just from just ignorance of you know, the meaning of words if she probably really believes that he was and doesn't realize the difference in a refugee and somebody that's just forced by the government to to go back to I don't know, that's just stupid. Yeah. Well, that's par for the course. I think Alexandra Ocasio Cortez gets too much attention because she says stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it's also because she's young and looks good on camera and that's about it. And and one other thing, even if you grant that Jesus was a refugee, uh, the government didn't pay for his shoes or his health care <laughs> or his food. Fair enough. Joseph was still out there building chairs. Well, and, uh, luckily, the- we don't have governments going in and trying to kill all the you know the the first the you know recently born young boys too. I don't know. I got four daughters. That might not be a bad thing. <laughs> Three dollars, excuse me. Spoken like a true father. Well, Clay, 84, Southernwood, whatever the hell your name is. Steel Slats. Steel Slats. Yeah. That's right. That way we calling you now. Thank you for joining me for these Enjoy four it. hours. And that this was fun. last hour. It was fun. It was fun. I'll be back tomorrow, folks. Talk to you all then. Joey Clark.